Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Backpacking Podcast. It's time for that Monday night party where we and Jeremiah get together and we just hang out with all of you guys. We are so excited to be here. Jeremiah, how are you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. We're here for another live stream Monday nights. No football right now, but you do have the Backpacking Podcast. And it's so much better anyways. I mean, let's just be honest. I think that some people would disagree, but... They're wrong. Okay, yeah. so Jeremiah, tonight is going to be a great night. We're going to have some oh, fun. Yeah. We're going to have some fun. We've already got people in here leaving comments and stuff already actually we had one person telling us to hit the music they were ready low for x he was all about it um and uh we have a really cool guest on tonight mr chris speed from outmersive films we're psyched about that uh outdoor transit's already said he's a big fan of his work and he's excited about tonight i'm sure there are a lot of people logging in right now because they're excited for the conversation we're gonna have with chris Oh, it's going to, I've been looking forward to it, man. I watched his Highline film, got all refreshed up, got a lot to talk about. Oh, a lot, a lot. But before we do, we need to thank our sponsor for tonight. So let's get a big thank you out to Outdoor Beards. I, I know for a fact, like, both of us are, are big proponents of Outdoor Beards. Like, yeah, I have a beard. This beautiful brown thing growing under my face is a result of the use of Outdoor Beards products. I'm a big fan of the uh, beard balm. The one my, I, that my wife likes is the Morning Brew, which is a chocolate coffee fl- scented. I was going to say flavored. I don't know what it tastes like. <laughs> I'll shoot straight. I don't know what it tastes like. But it, it's scented, and my wife says it smells like chocolate popcorn, and so it makes her happy. And happy wife, happy life, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, my wife, she really liked the uh, grandpa's tobacco pop. Oh, she nice. said it smells, smells all vanilla and sweet. But, uh, you know, I, I like the oil, especially after a shower. You really strip the uh, essential oils from your beard so you can replenish those. Or if I'm getting up in the morning and I've already had a shower the previous night, I will use the balm. I've been using the Lost in the Woods scent. Have no idea what it tastes like either, but it gives you <laughs> it gives you a little more styling. The bond does over the oil. So if you have a beard, I'd highly suggest he's got a bunch of products too. Like I use his brush. He's got lip balm. He's got mustache wax. He's got soaps. I've used two full bars of soap. So Matthew, if you're listening, I could use some more soap. <laughs> Well, big thank you once again to our sponsor for tonight's episode, Outdoor Beards, uh, for being the sponsors and uh, making sure we can afford to keep doing this because I don't know about you, Jeremiah, but I have too much fun doing this to want to stop. So, Amen, brother. So let's let's introduce our guest for the night. Uh, he is a filmmaker, and he's made one of my favorite backpacking films in Highline, and he also made a film that not as many people know about, the High Sierra Trail, where he's actually the star of it. And we'll get into some more of this later, but uh, really thankful to have on with us tonight, Mr. Chris Smead. How are you, man? Yo, how's it going? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing awesome. Fantastic, dude. Doing I watch, watch your Highline film, and I have to say, I have been doing YouTube and doing trip videos. I say that in quotations, because after watching yours, I was just like, man... I got to stick to this talking head stuff because it's absolutely no competition. Your <laughs> your movie's so good. I don't even know how you even start with putting something like that together. Obviously, you got to you know film it and all that, but I don't know where does it even start. It starts with <laughs> it, it's a pretty painful process to be honest. It's the shooting is the easy part. So the hiking and shooting part is super easy. But before that, there's months and months and months, sometimes years uh, of planning and, and out there you can't really, you can't really predict what's going to happen. So you don't really have like a solid storyboard per se. Mm-hmm. It's more just like, okay, a bunch of stuff's going to happen out there. We don't know what it is. We're just going to try to be ready for it. So like, if this happens, we need to have this lens. If that happens, we want to have that lens, that kind of a thing. And uh, the only thing that's really predictable is like the, the stuff that happens within city limits. So it's, it's not all hiking films for us. I've 
you've probably seen. I mean, it's they're hiking related films, but they don't always take place. 100% in, in the outdoors. Right. In Highline, you see a lot of stuff within city limits as we go into the, the stories of the hikers. And those things you can predict in storyboards. So lots of ugly plan. I'm going to say ugly. Lots of tedious planning <laughs> involved. And then, uh, you know, there's a hike, which is the fun part, and the shooting, which is fun. And then the months and months and months of, of editing and coloring and post sound production that that happens, uh, and that's that's where things get crazy. That's the painful part. That's where I I feel like I'm going to lose my mind. But uh, right when I'm about to lose my my mind, we finish. <laughs> so that's what's happened with the last two films. The next film, who knows? I might actually lose it before the end. But uh, well, question yeah. for you, because you know a lot of people that are in backpacking are doing the ultralight thing, trying to get lightweight and everything, and. I know you're probably as light as you can get, but you've got mm. camera gear and everything. What are we talking about for pack weight for you? It depends on the project, like a lot. So obviously being ultralight is like critical to this. If, if right. you have like a 50-pound pack, you can't go out there with like another 20 pounds worth of camera gear. You, you would not get anywhere. So we pare things down as light as possible, like most backpackers do, and maybe even take a few extra sacrifices in the process. Like, you know, I don't I don't bring a stove anymore. I just try to go as cookless and whatever. If I need to lose weight on the trip, I, I will do that. I'll bring not enough food, and I'll just plan on losing some weight. That's wow. fine. I don't mind it. Wow. And, uh, well, you know, it, it happens. It's Sacrifice <laughs> for the arts. Yeah, there's some sacrificing involved. And what's funny is, like, you don't get the benefits of, of a normal ultralight backpacker. Like, normally a, an ultralight backpacker would be like, oh, look, I cut all this weight from my pack. I have this lightweight pack. It's great now. And it's like, I just cut all this weight from my pack, made all the sacrifices. Now I'm going to throw in, like, 20 pounds of camera gear. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, it depends. Sometimes, I, I can't remember how much I brought for a high line. I want to say it was maybe 15 pounds. And uh, I think for High Sierra Trail, that was an easier project, probably like 11. I think it was 11 or 12 pounds or something for High Sierra Trail. So it depends. The next one will be even even worse. How many camera bodies and lenses are you taking? And do you all just like bring an extra person and they're your Sherpa? Uh, <laughs> we might actually do that on the next project. But uh, in the case of Highline, Highline, it was great because we had five ultralight backpackers with mm. their packs. <laughs> so they all turned into mules. We They were all carrying a couple of pounds worth of batteries and extra lenses and like audio gear, which helped. Um, for camera bodies, I had, uh, you know, I had one camera and Gordy had another, the co-director had another camera. And then Matt, Matt Favreau, who's in Highline, he actually helped us shoot as well. And so did Benny Braden, you know, your friend. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, they were they were very helpful. So yeah, we had I think a total of four cameras and then a couple of GoPros here and there just to get some extra shots when it when it's raining. When it's raining, you don't want to like pull out the nice expensive camera, right? So you got to right. do something. GoPros aren't my favorite camera, but when when it's raining, it's it's, it's really fantastic at that point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the underwater shots with the mm-hmm. GoPros, like for sure, yeah. it really adds to like the whole dynamic and the storyline. But one of the things that I run into, I like try to try to do these trip videos. Typically, a story like if you're going to write it or script it, you're going to have like a beginning. You're going to it's going to have a setting, and then there's going to be some conflict, and then the story follows it, and then there's resolution. But sometimes you just go on a trip, and it's like all conflict, and then you have to end. <laughs> like there's no resolution. How do you overcome whenever you sit down and you're ready to edit it? And you're like, okay, well, how do I make a story out of this? Because sometimes I've been like, this trip video is not, it's not coming to fruition. And obviously you can't do that if you've already put together the logistics of having all these people. It's already hard enough to get five people together. Yeah. So as far as the story goes, I think there's some saying out there that I'm going to butcher this quote, but basically it says that a good story cannot be synthesized. It needs to be distilled. So in the case yeah. of documentaries, you have the story there. I mean, if you shot it all, it's there. And it's just a matter of like distilling it into uh, stuff that's digestible for the viewers, right? I mean, if you throw too much in there, it'll be boring, but you just want to take the right parts and put them all together in the sequence to make sure that that tells a story. And not and really, it's, it's, not, it's not like one long story. It's usually like a bunch of, any movie really, it's usually a bunch of small stories that kind of fit together, ideally with an overarching theme so that it feels like it's all one beast versus a bunch of tiny short films. We actually have an offer for you, by the way. 
Uh, Hunter's trip on here. He said, I'll be the Sherpa. Let me learn some filming tips. So, awesome. <laughs> so you can have an unpaid intern there for you. Great. Yeah. yeah well, he, we've had a few uh, people offer stuff like that. And it's like, I, they don't know what they're getting themselves into. We get to put like 50 pounds of camera batteries on them and stuff. And <laughs> uh, Hunter, he's a, he's a good friend of ours. And uh, I recently went backpacking with him and he's like a minimalist. We tarp camped. I don't know how much tarp camping experience that you have. No, I'm uh, too scared of bugs. <laughs> well, this was, it was freezing cold, man. I mean, it was like low twenties at wow. night. Yeah. It sucks. So, it's okay though, but he does the whole sandals. But one of the guys in Highline, I noticed that he was wearing sandals. Joe Joe Velasco, yeah, the the founder of Z Packs, sandals everywhere. That guy's, that guy's like weird. He's so tough and so hardcore, but he never, like, he, he's not the type to ever brag about it. He just kind of is that way. Yeah, and I've never seen a guy so minimalist. He was, and he'll just casually talk about stuff, like wearing sandals when he did the Continental Divide Trail, like through snow and stuff. With sandals. <laughs> like, what How the heck, man? Yeah, I mean, he had waterproof socks at that point. But for the most part, he just does it in sandals. He says there's no downside, but I'm, I, I don't know. I can't get myself to do that yet. Yeah, I, it was kind of shocking that he was the one that didn't end up making the trip because I've followed him for a while. Yeah. And he is hardcore. Like, he is a he's a tough dude. And so when, when I watched the movie and realized that he had had physical issues – did they ever find out what was going on? Was it just altitude sickness, or, or what was it that he was struggling with there? It, so he had some sort of really bad lung infection. He got sick. Oh. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was like the precursor to COVID or something. But he got really, really sick, and his lungs were all messed up. And on its own, that would have been kind of tough. But then when you altitude. combine that with hiking at elevation, and the elevation profile in the Uintas is pretty challenging. And I think that just kind of you know, messed up. His lungs pretty bad, and he was really struggling, which is not like him at all. I mean, it says over and over in the film, and you know, this is not like Joe. It yeah. really isn't like Joe. I mean, Joe's such a tough guy, and for some reason, that just really took him out. The the Untis are interesting. You know, I, I think all of us have been to much higher higher elevations. We've all done the John Muir Trail or Pacific Crest Trail and stuff, and with that, you have a lot of time before you gain elevation or if you do go to high elevation you're usually you know you go high and then you come back down low and then you could sleep at like say 8,000 or 9,000 feet and the only is you go high and you really stay high you don't really get any break after the first day in terms of elevation so I think that was impacting all of us I, I was shocked actually just, uh, Matt had elevation issues as well and so did obviously Redbeard did in the film yeah, yeah he was uh, and that guy's done the PCT that guy's been elevation many times without issues but in this well, case, well, he's also hurt. been to Patagonia, I think, hasn't he? He's been down there yeah. as well. So. Yeah, all those guys have been to, to yeah. Patagonia. These guys have hiked all around the world together. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, the elevation is no joke, man. I've had two like elevation, high elevation experiences in my life, and one I was student teaching in Ecuador, and so you just fly in, but you don't have to do any backpacking or anything like that. You're literally like going to the airport, and then you take a taxi to your house. But I remember being there for like three weeks and my body was still like not acclimated. Oh, wow. You know, I was, I remember, I love, like before this backpacking podcast episode tonight, I went to my local gym and played pickup basketball and I love playing basketball. And I, I was playing like three weeks after being there. I was only there for a month and I was like, I gotta get some physical activity. I remember sprinting down the court one time at like a public park. And I was like, this is just like breathing through a straw. Like you can't get your breath. And the other time we took a trip to Colorado to do Holy Cross um, Wilderness. And we flew into Denver and then drove up. And I just remember like we started out like 11,000 feet. And then after we hit 12,000, we didn't come back down for several days. And a couple of guys were getting really sick. Like one of them, I thought might have to take a helicopter ride out of there, hitting their panic button. And another one, I felt so bad. I remember he's throwing up and he had a GoPro and he had kind of like rigged up his camera bag hooked on the side of his hip belt with some cordage and stuff. And he had just slipped, you know, the GoPro's got those fat, um, it's not, it's like a monopod, just like a little handle that you yeah. can hold your GoPro out. He had just stuffed it down in there, a brand new GoPro. It's like the first or second trip he took it on. And he was throwing up as a result of altitude sickness. And at some point his GoPro fell out 
and we made it to camp. He backtracked and looked for it, couldn't find it. The altitude is real. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Altitude sickness, it's so weird. It seems to impact people differently. And it doesn't, it's not even a fitness thing. You could be like the strongest guy in the world and have hiked a million miles and still altitude can take you out. And I've noticed too, like sometimes it'll be fine. Sometimes, like, I will go to 14,000 feet and be totally okay, and then another trip I'll go to 14,000, and I'll be like, I have a headache, I feel like crap. So I just, you know. Well, I know years ago I did did Kilimanjaro, and I actually took uh, Mm. medication so I wouldn't get altitude sickness. Because, I mean, that's 19,000 feet. So you can imagine, I mean, we're we're sleeping at 16,000. And so, you know, we had guys that were like, I'm not going to take that stuff. And every single one of them got horrible headaches. One guy was green. I mean, it's just, they just, it it really messes with you. It does, big time. Uh, We got a question for you from All Things Outdoors. It says, I have an idea of what I want to shoot, but get on trail, and I lose discipline, especially in group hikes. How hard is it to keep on track, and what are your best practices? Um, honestly, when I go backpacking, normally I'm focused on backpacking and hiking. When I'm shooting a film, I tend to focus pretty heavily on the film. Usually at that point, many, many months have gone into the planning effort. And so your, your brain is, is on the film and you're focused on the finished product. You want to make sure you have all the shots because if you're missing any shots, that is awful to deal with in post. So at that point, I'm just kind of on it. And uh, usually there's many, you know, several other people involved. Um, You know, the co-director Gordy, for example, with Highline was there and we were always kind of like chatting about the next shots we wanted to get. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's about making life easier for you later in post. So I, I think that just kind of guides that kind of like keeps me disciplined. Um, if you're by yourself and doing it, I think it's just, I mean, how, how much do you care about the video? I mean, you can shoot like pieces here and there and still make something that's kind of fun. If you want to be more detailed, you, yeah, you definitely got to be a little bit more disciplined. And I, I just, I guess I have a routine, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and, uh, jump out of my tent as soon as I can shoot the guys doing their thing. And, and throughout the day, I make sure I get those shots. Every time there's a break, I shoot there as well. And then at the end of the day, I have my routine of like cleaning the lenses, getting all the dirt off of them and stuff with the squeeze ball and a little brush and stuff. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a matter of getting into the mindset of focusing on the film, which which is a little bit weird because I mean it kind of takes away from the outdoor experience, I guess, a little bit for most people because you're you're not focused on just you know connecting with nature. You're focused on the technical aspect of it and getting mm-hmm. all the shots you need. So, yeah, I, I, you know, if you're willing to torture yourself to that degree, like, like myself and my, uh, my colleagues, um, yeah, discipline, I guess, is the right, right word to say. Well, the yeah. thing here is, though, you are a backpacker. You, you like going backpacking. This is not just like a guy who vi- happens to find a niche in videoing backpacking trips. You're actually a backpacking guy. You were just in Utah recently, right? I was just in Utah. That was that's a funny trip, funny story in itself. So myself and my friend Jason went out to do the Dirty Devil Loop in southeast Utah, kind of near Hanksville-ish area. If some town probably most people have never heard of, but uh, it's it's a pretty unknown loop and it's the desert and it's really not many people do it. It's pretty challenging because the water resources are very limited and um, you know, the terrain's pretty rough. There's some Class Five stuff. And uh, Jason and I have climbing experience. So we went out there and thought we were going to knock it out. We were all prepared. We've, you know, I've got like 90 something trips under my belt. So I thought I had the experience and we got out there and then the reliable water sources were dry. Oh, and it rained the first day. The first day we were on the trail. We're like, dude, this is going to be great. We're not worried about water at all. And all the sources were dry. And at that point, I mean, we we got to day three and we're like, this this is not going to work well. Oh, so we, we had to bail. It was supposed to be like a, I think, eight-day trip, seven-day or eight-day trip. And we ended up, you know, bailing after three days, which is fine. We just went back to, you know, Utah. We hung out in Moab and did a bunch of climbing and stuff, which was fun. And I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. How did you almost die? Fill <laughs> so, yeah. us in on this story. So I, I guess it's a slightly different audience. This is not really backpacking related. It's climbing related. But myself and my friend Jason, who's probably watching this right now, hey Jason, uh, we were climbing a tower in uh, Arches National Park. Um, not not a delicate arch; it was a legal tower. We we're allowed to to climb this cool sandstone tower, and I was near the top, and it was a hundred foot tower, and I was at uh, maybe eighty eighty five feet up, 
and I was placing a, a hex. I was placing a piece of protection to keep me from falling off the rock. And part of the process is that you, you know, you tug on it to, to set that thing. And uh, I tugged it, and I slipped, and I fell. And I fell, like, 20 feet through the air. And I was like, ah! It's weird. Like, when you fall through the air, like, you think it's going to be quick and instant. And it's not. Like, I was in the air. I'm like, I'm in the air. I'm, I'm still in the air. Like, <laughs> well, I'm still in the air right now. Like, like how am I still falling? <laughs> and it's only 20 feet. But, you know, you're. I think I've never had this happen before where your brain kind of slows down time. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess maybe people who have gone through, like, traumatic car accidents or something could relate to that. But It's yeah, like just, the frame oh, rate. The frame yeah. rate of your brain is, like, speeding Speeds up. Speeds up. Yeah, and then stretches out, right? Yeah. And yeah, I was just I was just falling through the air for a long time, and eventually, you know, the rope caught me. And thank goodness, my friend Jason was down there belaying me, and I slammed against the rocks. My right oh. leg is, like, wrecked. There's, like, a bruise, like, this big. I've never had a bruise that big before. And yeah, it still hurts. But the that's question okay. is, did, did you get a good picture of it? And did you put it on Instagram? Uh, I got, I didn't get a picture of it happening. I wish we had video of it happening. There was a bunch of tourists watching me. So they're probably like, you know, look at that dumbass. Or, you know, <laughs> this, this idiot. Doing <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I got, I think I got some video afterwards saying, you know, here's where it happened. And we posted it, but nothing too exciting. Well, it sounds, crazy, sounds pretty man. terrifying to me, but I guess that's not exciting. So, <laughs> see, <laughs> see, before the show, we were talking about climbing a little bit because I have a buddy and he lives in the same city I do. His name's Bryce. And he wants me to go climbing with him. But I know, I know it, it's outdoors, like anything outdoors, you typically fun, whether it's fishing or backpacking or hunting or climbing or whatever. But different set of gear, but it kind of overlaps with backpacking, like you were saying earlier, because you have to hike in to your spot, even if it's day hike in, climb till dark, and then come back out. But I just don't know about the heights, man. I feel like I'll get to the edge whenever I'm backpacking. You know, you'll get to an overlook or something, and you get so close, and you're like, not going any closer than this. My whole body's (laughs) starting to tingle. But with climbing – you're roped in, and you you have somebody. What is the person on the ground? You call them. They're belaying uh, so, you. Yeah, you have somebody belaying you. Yeah, so uh, they're they're making sure that even if you fall, that there is basically counterweight. Am I right? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. So, yeah, so I, mean, I feel like it's safe, safer than scooting to the edge backpacking. But I don't know about it, man. Well, he's not it, talking about safe. free climbing, man. Like, it's not like you're going to go up the, the side of a 500-foot cliff by yourself with no gear. I mean. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, it's, it, well, you kind of can fall still. I mean, I did. Yeah. I fell 20 feet, right? So, it, right. I mean, there's I don't want to bore the viewers too much with climbing stuff. But basically, if you're – there's the beginner style is called top roping, right, where you have the rope already set up and you're climbing. And if you fall, you you just kind of float away from the rock maybe a foot or two. Right? Or you, just, you just sit there. Totally safe. That's a great way to start. Um, when you get to more advanced climbing, when you're doing like sport climbing or, or trad climbing, they call it, you are placing your protection on the way up. So you're placing pieces of gear into the rock to keep yourself from falling too far. So there's definitely points where you're above your protection, right? So be like, okay, here's a cam. Here's a device I placed into the rock to keep me from falling too far. You clip your rope into that. When you climb above that, say you're seven feet up, if you fall, you fall that seven feet plus, mm-hmm. you know, you pendulum. I mean, you Yeah, then you're going to hit the rock. So you're falling at 14 feet, right? And in my case, I fell 20. But, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, so there's some risk there. Uh, you do have to be careful. People get injured at times. Um, but, I mean, if you're top roping, you'll be okay. Yeah, well, I'll one give of, it a go. One of our climbing friends is actually on right now, Devin from oh, Backcountry cool. Exposure. Oh, Devin, I know, Devin. Hey, what's up, dude? Oh, he so. can't hear me, but hi. <laughs> <laughs> So we we probably should have said this 20 minutes ago, but you have two films that you've already published, right? You're cinematographer, videographer. Your two films are High Sierra, right? That was your first one. The High Sierra Trail and Highline. And Highline. Okay. So give us the Reader's Digest. Just just so people, like I said, we should have said this before, but give us uh, the Reader's Digest version of those so that we have context of what you all were doing. Sure, yeah. So the High Sierra Trail is a uh, semi-short film, 39 minutes, set in the Sierra Nevada. Myself and my friend John, we hike, um, you know, a 
east west east traverse of uh, the Sierra Nevada you know, on a fairly well known trail and had a lot of fun, some adventures along the way. And then we also had a park ranger, a former uh, retired park ranger, um, talk about the history of the trail. And there's a lot of animations that kind of talk about that. And yeah, so that that was that. And then the next film that we did after that was called Highline. Highline was a much bigger beast, feature length, and almost two hour film actually. And that goes into um, it, it talks about a trail called the Uinta Highline Trail in in northern Utah, northeast Utah. It's pretty un, was pretty unknown. I think it's getting a lot more attention now. And uh, yeah, it's it follows five fairly well known hikers as a do this traverse um, just 100 miles and we go into the history of the trail and uh, the heavier component of the film is that we go into the history of each of the hikers and their personal stories and they all have pretty uh, pretty interesting backstories and uh, yeah so that's that and uh, yeah, so far they've been doing pretty well online and yeah and Highline I, in particular is doing doing great and I have a question for you about your first movie the, uh, the High Sierra Trail you made a statement in that video that has not escaped my brain since I watched the movie. You were talking with your buddy, and he asked if you wanted gravy, and you said no. Gravy is animal sauce, and I don't want it. I don't want it. What? Where did gravy is animal sauce come from? It's kind of it's like it's like an animal juice. I mean, I love eating animals; they're delicious, right? I mean, yeah. Sorry to any yeah. any vegans that are watching this, but I mean, I, I eat all sorts of meat, but like gravy to me is just kind of weird. It's just like the the juice that comes out of like a. I don't know. It just kind of weirds me out. Ever since I was little, I never liked it. Like when I think of gravy, I think of like when I was like eight years old, getting that TV dinner, and there's that gross like gravy that was that never thought out right. So you have like this like half frozen, jello. Half, like, gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of gelatinous and stuff. Ugh. So I, I just never liked gravy, and I'm sure people are gasping out there right now. Like, how dare you talk about gravy like that? You know? Oh, I'm watching that at midnight, and my wife's asleep. My kids are asleep. And I'm fighting back laughing as loud as I possibly can when you said that. I've never heard anybody call gravy animal juice before. Animal sauce. That's what it was. Animal, animal sauce. sauce. I was cracking up, man. That trip cracked me up, too, because that, whereas Highline was about you filming other people, the first movie was actually about you, and it was your personality, and uh, it, was, it was great because you made the statement about John. You're like, I'm just here to drive him crazy. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that that was just the natural flow of things. I've known John for a while, and we worked together. And I've driven him crazy, of you know, for a couple of years before we even started that trip. So <laughs> it's just kind of how our friendship works, you know. And so it happened out there as well. Well, we're getting we're getting comments on the gravy, so we probably need to make sure these get posted up here. So um, there's a place for all God's creatures right next to the mashed potatoes. <laughs> I like that. Uh, we That's awesome. Gravy is not gross. Blasphemy. Uh, Salisbury steak gravy for the win. <laughs> Animal juice. And, Animal uh, juice. Here we go. Here we go. Time to bring out the gravy fountain. <laughs> That's, How do they even make that stuff? Why is it like so soft? They just squish the animal and get the juice out and then like... <laughs> Freaking like, I, add, is there, I think there's like cornstarch or something in there, right? I mean, uh, yeah, usually, I usually it it's just the drippings from the meat, and then you just kind of put some flour in it and stuff. But here, here's a question Do you like pizza? Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, Midwest Backpacker said if he doesn't like pizza, I'm leaving. Oh, so, no. I like, don't worry. Well, you're good. I like pizza. Pizza's awesome. Every type of pizza I like, unless yeah. it's got anchovies. That's weird. <laughs> Nobody likes anchovies, though. That's no, I don't like anchovies. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to ask you um, something that really caught my eye. In Highline, and you mentioned it um, about High Sierra, and it was graphics. And I want to know, and I don't want to bore everybody out there with all the technical stuff. I know you're like, oh, we're backpacking podcast, but I'm really curious because I make these videos, and I've been doing YouTube for multiple years, and you always want to make them better. You have these graphics, and it's basically a still image, and you're either scaling in or zooming out. And you have motion in it. And I know on some of them, like you, you added in rain. I, I assume that you do most of the editing for the films and yeah. you have a vision of how you want to do the, each clip. So you put these graphics in and I want to know how you do this. And if you outsource any of those. We're a tiny company, so we, we don't have the budget to outsource a whole lot of stuff. The only thing we outsource is like the coloring and post audio. Okay. And and we get great deals on that. But anyways, um, yeah, the graphics, I, I do all the graphics, and it's 
I'm trying to th- long story short, I take a old photo and then I chop it up into different pieces in Photoshop. And then I, uh, there's a tool in Photoshop called the clone tool. So like after I cut out mm-hmm, something, sure. I, I clone in the background to kind of mm-hmm. fill it in. And then I have all these different layers and they've all got transparency in them. And then I separate them within 3D space in a application called motion five, or sometimes I use after effects. Oh. There's two different programs for that. And then you animate the motion there and then you can add composite layers on top of that, whether it be like, I don't know, dust or, or you know, rain or, or snow or whatever it needs to be to tell the story. Well, and it that is. process is, there's a reason not, you don't see that too often. It's, it's really tedious. It takes forever. That's what I was thinking, man. Even like, let's take a, a three second clip of a still image, but we're going to have the Milky Way moving in the shot across mm-hmm. the sky. So you have to have that layer in there behind it. And then you're using something like after effects, which for the, those that don't know is an editing software and it's going to allow you to add special types of motion. So funny then, thing, people have thought that the Milky way, I've had this question multiple times back when we were able to do screenings before COVID. Sure. And uh, a lot of people thought that Milky way was, you know, all special effects and it wasn't, <laughs> it was uh, an, I, that we actually got that shot out there. That was beautiful. And, uh, wow. So that time lapse, we actually got it at Dead Horse Lake. And I, the only thing that was computer generated was that I took that Milky Way shot. There's one, there's two Milky Way shots that came out really good. Mm-hmm. And when I needed them beyond those two nights, I just composited those layers behind other layers. So like say on night two, I wanted to see, see that Milky Way shot. I would just take the mountains, cut out the mountains, and then put that Milky Way shot behind. There's obviously more to it than that. And, trying to angle them right and do all sorts of stuff in 3D space to make sure that it looks, you know, uh, not too flat. And, uh, yeah, but, yeah, the actual Milky Way Way shot was real. That was uh, the two Milky Way shots that we used over and over again in the film were were actually captured out there. It was top-notch. Thanks. Hopefully, uh, I wasn't insulting you at all there. Hopefully, it's more along the lines (laughs) of, like, oh, you you think I do steroids? This is all natural. I feel good. It's all natural, bro. Yeah. And the the sound design, too. Your sound design is also top-notch. And for those that don't know, you're basically adding in extra sounds or sounds that you recorded to bring the film more alive, and it is phenomenal. Yeah, a lot of that was thanks to, I mean, we captured a lot of stuff in the field, and a lot of that stuff did make it into the final production. Most of it probably did. Um, but, yeah, we, we have some pretty good post-sound engineers, uh, Bill and Alex. Uh, from they, they worked on a bunch of major movies, so they've worked on, like, the Fast and Furious series, which is, oh, wow. and it was not, which is not outdoorsy, but they worked on that. They worked on, like, The Revenant well, they and drove all sorts car, of stuff. They drive cars outside. Yeah, yeah, right. It's outdoors. It outdoors. It's yeah. totally outdoors. <laughs> but those guys have a lot of experience that they bring to the table. So they, you know, they took the film, then they filled in any gaps that needed to be there. You know, they would add the ambience, bird sounds, all sorts of cool, you know, whooshes and stuff. They did. They did a really good job at keeping it pretty subtle too. You know, whenever usually you need some sort of like sonic feedback to when something happens, and if it's not there, it's like weird and blank, and you're like, oh, what's going on? And those guys were good at uh, filling in that stuff and making sure that it all was cohesive, both audio and visual. There was no no point in there that I was like, this is missing something. And, you know, you can get that if somebody doesn't have the right sounds or the right music or it's it's just not enough. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. That's all those guys. So thanks to them for that. They they worked hard on that. It's pretty torture. To, it, it was a lot of torture for them too, especially Bill, because because Gordy and I both have music backgrounds. We both recorded a, a lot of music in in our lives, and so we tend to be a little bit more, um, you know, hardcore about the audio side than I think most filmmakers were. And poor Bill, man, that guy was like working like he didn't sleep a lot <laughs> he lost a lot of sleep because of highline but in the end i think it totally paid off so thank you bill for that suffering if you're watching <laughs> now we got we got a really good question for you here from uh tom sipernowski he's asking what kind of filmmaking education do you have do you have a degree in film or no <laughs> i actually come from like the tech field i have 20 years of tech experience i was like the the network security program manager at a high-tech company over here. So yeah, no, no film experience. I honestly, I, yeah, I, I, I did the John Muir trail in 2016 and I knew nothing about cameras, bought a 
little camera with me, didn't know what I was doing, was waving it everywhere, just getting some shots here and there. And then uh, spent some time editing that thing afterwards. And the editing was so painful, and the end result was still okay. It was still, you know, a good way to commemorate the trip, I guess. That, uh, you know, after that, I was like, I need to get better at camera stuff. That was editing. That was terrible, man. I, I think that's so, how all the YouTube guys are. Like, we're we're all, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, we actually have a question from Backcountry Exposure having to do with that. He says, as a cinematographer with a lot of YouTube creators watching, what is one piece of advice you'd give for creators to make their outdoor videos better? One piece of advice. Um, there's so many pieces of advice. I would say, like, move the camera half the speed that you think it should move. If you're panning or if you're, like, moving forward or backwards, whenever you're moving the camera, like, you think it needs to go this speed, but, like, really spin it, like, half that speed. Like, keep camera movement as slow as possible because when, you, when you're in post, it's actually a lot faster than you think it is. So that's one piece of advice. Probably the second piece of advice I would say is shoot a lot, but don't use all your footage in the end. Because, yeah, you don't you don't need all it, it, things can get boring really really quick. You know, I try to keep things cut pretty pretty quick, and uh, yeah, just shoot a whole lot so you have so you have the options, and then post just pick the good stuff and only use those little bits. Even if you have this amazing, you know, minute long shot of something, just take you know two or three seconds of it or eight seconds, whatever the story demands. So. Now, whenever you're watching other people's stuff, like, have you seen the movie Mile, Mile and a Half? I have. I know those guys. Yeah. Jason uh, Jason Fitzpatrick is actually, like, one of my mentors. He really helped me get into this stuff. He really answered a lot of my dumb questions in the beginning. So, yeah. They're, so, whenever, they're awesome. you're, whenever you watch stuff like that, do you feel like your experiences and your background in, in doing the same type of thing, it – almost limit you in how immersive that your viewing experience can get? Like, do you ever get, you're like, Oh, I would have done this shot differently or, Oh, that was interesting. Instead of just being able to sit down and be like, you know, imagine that you don't know anything about music. Like I play guitar, but mm -hmm. if I had no idea how to play guitar and I saw somebody just shredding, I wouldn't think, Oh, okay. Well, this, this is the scale that they're playing. Is he doing a pentatonic like, scale or something right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 funny. I'm, I'm like a, a burden. I'm a musician too, by the way, or was for many many years. So yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes, that exactly that that happens to me probably worse than the average person because I was also an engineer for so long. I've always been technical, and I tend to look at things with a technical eye. I think, and so whenever I watch a movie or listen to an album, I'll be like, "What kind of guitar cab was that?" Or like with a movie, I'm like. What, what lens did they shoot that with? You know, I, I recognize the color science. That's the Sony or that's the, that's the Canon or whatever. And so, yeah, it definitely uh, gives me a different way to look at those things that may take me out of the story at times, which isn't great. And I think that's actually how I judge films now is like, is it is the story telling good enough where I forget about all the technical stuff? If I watch it mm. and I'm just in the story, that's a good film to me. And Mile, Mile and a Half is hard for me to, Gage now because that's really the the film that inspired me to start getting into this stuff. I saw that and I was like, "Whoa, it's so cool! I want to do that. It can't be that hard." And yeah, no, it is <laughs> that hard. Very it's very really, yes. It's really freaking hard. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of work. And by the way, that movie still holds up. Yeah, like, oh, it, it does. Been a number of years, it's still great. That's another one of those movies I've watched at least four or five times, and I've never watched it and been like, "Ah, eh, I've watched it. I'm done." I, I every time I watch it, I catch another spot where I wasn't paying attention, maybe the first time or. Uh, and the story is fantastic. It is. It's, fantastic. I, I like. It's just a good feel-good film. It's mm -hmm. not like oh, they had all this drama and they hate each other. It's not. It's just like this happy, go-lucky film. They're on the John Muir Trail. It's beautiful sights. It's everything you want to see as a backpacker. And I just, I really like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, Dude, find some random, right? find some random uh, musicians along the way that play the theme song at the end on the top yeah. of the mountain. It was yeah. like almost a kumbaya moment there at the end. Yeah, those guys are. Awesome. I met them too. Opus yeah. Orange. Yeah, I met them. We did a. A screening of High Sierra Trail earlier on in in LA, and they were they actually played at the event, and it was kind of cool. Oh, that's meet cool! Them. Like, whoa, you guys are awesome, and they that's were super cool. nice. Or you're talking about the ultralight. You all are trying to go as ultralight as possible so that you oh, have enough weight, like savings that you could 
offset the lenses and the bodies of the camera and all the all the things you need, extra batteries and all that. Mm-hmm. Man, watch a mile, mile and a half. I was like, oh my god, they're they're having a comp a com- uh, competition <laughs> to see whose backpack is the heaviest. Their backpack was like seventy pounds or something. Yeah. Like, oh, I couldn't do that. I would make it like a mile and I would fall over. Maybe, oh, yeah. I would make it like a mile or a mile and a half. <laughs> <laughs> like that. That was good. I caught what you did yeah, there. Right? You like that? Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> hey, we actually have a question, a hiking question for you. Um, cool. What was the best part of the HST? Uh, this is a Huck Outdoors. He said his, his was going over the Great Western Divide. What was the part of that that you really enjoyed the most? Yeah, that was pretty cool. I really liked that. I, oh, man. You know what? I, I didn't think I was going to like the Kern Canyon, but I really liked it. You know, it was just like one of those days where it was kind of long and we were tired, and it just felt really refreshing to be in camp. I didn't even go in the hot springs down there because I thought they were gross. But yeah, that was fun. The, the going over the Great Western Divide is awesome it, over Quia Gap. That was super scenic. Whitney's great. There's just so many people there, you know, and uh, it gets a little weird. But man, I have a lot of favorite parts. It's hard for me to pick one, but yeah, I think I might agree with you, Mister Huck Outdoors. Um, yeah, the Great Western Divide is always cool. Why do you think the hot springs were gross? You gotta watch the movie. Like Dude, there was like there was green slime mold. in it. Yeah, there's green slime growing uh, in there. And like and and people don't go in there when they're clean, right? They're, they go in there when they they've been hiking yeah, all day. And, trash. and and theoretically 100%. that all rinses out, right? But what if there's not? What if there's like hiker grease like lining hiker grease. that little thing in there? I don't know. <laughs> it's kinda like the animal pudding that it's, yeah, yeah, right? it's, gravy. Like, it's like animal sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let, let's uh there's something we want to talk about. I don't want to run out of time. Oh, you've got a new vi- a new movie getting ready to come out here in the next year yes. or two. And yes. it's a new project you're working on. Currently, it's just got a working title, The Iceland Project. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us about that a little bit? The Iceland Project is a beast. It's by far the biggest project we've ever worked on. We're using nicer cameras, nicer everything. We've been planning this thing for... Already about, I think, nine or ten months, and uh, the trip's going to wow. start in July. And this one is going to be a lot heavier than than the previous films. We There's a woman named Tara who's probably watching right now. Hi, Tara. She's, she's great, and she has a crazy life story, like really, really, like, unbelievable life story. And it's not something that is very... Um, yeah, it's 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 challenging to tell because there's so many elements to it. I mean, I feel like every part, every segment of her life is kind of like a whole movie in itself. So we're trying to figure out how to distill that properly and cut it in with the adventure she's going to have in Iceland. But with with the previous films, it's been like, you know, me and John hiking, pretty lighthearted. Highline got a little bit more heavy for sure, and there was you know five people. This film is going to be just her. So that's that's how heavy her story is. Just gonna be following her as she goes through uh, Iceland, has some adventures, and then we start telling her story along the way. And we're still working in how we're gonna figure out the the history component. There's some elements that seem to align with her history, believe it or not. So there's some things that happened like you know hundreds of years ago that may align with her story that where we might tie that together. But we're definitely trying to be careful not to uh, distract from her story too much because it's again it's it's a beefy one. In Highline, you might. There was some personal stories. I mean, if you look at Benny's story, if you look at Matt's story, or, or Steve's, I mean, they're they're heavy ones. Yeah. I would say expect that times like ten for this. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. There 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 will be tears. <laughs> so I, I I would definitely expect to be shocked and have a lot of tears and stuff. Um, but she's also just kind of a funny, happy-go-lucky person. So it's gonna it's not gonna be like too serious all the time, but it it will be. A heavier movie, a lot of efforts going into that. The crew is going to be bigger, nicer cameras, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a big deal, and it's tough with the whole COVID situation. We're working through that right now. I mean, traveling is not easy with COVID. You've got quarantine periods when you land in Iceland, and we're trying to work through all that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be challenging, but worth the effort. Well, and I was going to say, you, uh, I know with obviously your first trip, you already knew John. So that there's already mm-hmm. a relationship there, and then when you did Highline, you already had a relationship with the Z Packs guys, right? You already kind of knew them beforehand. I knew Matt the best, and the other ones I had phone conversations with here and there, but I didn't know them that well until really until we were on the trip. Yeah. So this, so Tara, I've I've actually been we we talk regularly. So for the last nine months or so, we've been uh, chatting 
pretty much every time I'm online, we're, we're talking about something and, and we've had many, many conversations. So I feel like I'm getting to know her really well. And you really, it's weird. Like as a filmmaker, as a, as a documentarian in particular, you're really getting into some personal stuff and you feel like you, you have a responsibility to tell that right. And uh, so there's, there's a trust thing going on. So yeah, I would say we're, you know, we're good friends at this point and we're learning more and more about her story and how to tell it right. And, um, yeah, so it feels like we've known each other for a long time, even though it's it's not that long. Yeah. Well, what's the most challenging part about putting that whole thing together? Is it the logistics and having to deal with COVID, or is it the filming or the post-production? Or Yes, 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 and yes. It, it's all hard. So <laughs> the, the COVID situation is causing us pain right now because we're trying to figure stuff out. The sponsor support has been tougher to get because so many businesses have been hurting. 2020 was not good for anybody, really. And uh, that's been challenging for us. Actually, what's what has been doing great is the mental health industry. <laughs> so apparently a lot of people are having mental health challenges. And uh, so that industry is thriving pretty well. So we're getting some sponsor support through them, which is wonderful because the film is very mental health focused. And I think that her story being conveyed to people will help people help anybody watching it in, in a really good way. Kind of like Benny's story. I know a lot of people have been helped by Benny's story. We've helped, uh, we, you know, we've had people reach out and say, you know, thank you. Benny's story was really inspiring to me. It helped me get through rough times. This is going to be uh, a much heavier version of that, if you, if you can believe it. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's been tough. And then obviously the storytelling uh, is going to be tough because a lot of things that happened happened 20 years ago. And when you're going through rough times 20, 30 years ago, you don't necessarily take a picture of it. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to uh, convey that on, on screen. So, wow. yeah, a lot of motion graphics can be involved. Um, some even tasteful, careful recreations. It's not going to be like a cheesy recreation like you see somewhere else. It's going to be like very carefully and tastefully done. And this, I would say this film is going to be very, it's going to be a documentary by genre, but the way that we're shooting it, it's going to be more like a cinematic narrative. It's going to be a lot more, beauty shots, a lot more artsy type shots that are going to be carefully crafted versus just kind of like, Oh, shaky camera. Let's just get it. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be a lot more thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, somebody, I think, you know, Thomas Clark is on here. He says he hiked the high Sierra trail with Tara. So hey, he Tom. was real excited that she was going to be involved with the Iceland project. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. She's, she's great. Yeah. She was actually recommended to us by a mutual friend. We have a guy uh, named Greg glass who, uh, you know, like I said, we're a small production company, right? We're not huge. We don't have this huge staff. But we have a friend named Greg who's been providing us with, like, legal advice and counsel. Every time we get a contract from a distributor or whatever, great Greg's been awesome at helping us. And we just happen to have Tara. He just you know, he happened to have this friend named Tara who had a really good story. He's like, dude, you should do a movie about her. She's amazing. And, uh, you know, from, from the second I got her on the phone, I knew it was going to be, you know, great one. Oh, yeah. Somebody actually asked the question, have you thought about financing in part through Kickstarter? Yes, that's always tough. You know, like we, we did get some Kickstarter funding for Highline, which is great. That really helped get us through the finish line. And we definitely will be pursuing that for this. Um, I was talking to the others about that. We're, what we're likely going to do is, is shoot the whole project come back, cut a trailer and then use the trailer to help kind of sell the Kickstarter to show people oh, yeah. like, Oh, we're not, we're not just saying, Oh, we're going to take your money and do some random, whatever. We're actually going to like show you the quality. Here's what we're going to deliver. Ultimately, it's going to be high quality. We're putting our heart and soul into this thing. We're also writing over this. We're doing, we're putting everything into this, this film and we need your help getting across the finish line. So that's, that's likely what we're, we're going to do that when we get back. It's, it's tough, you know. Right now, everybody's there's a lot of people that are that are hurting financially, and I just I feel I feel kind of weird asking for money from people. You know, I hate being like, hey, you know, I know you just lost your job due to COVID. Can we have some money? You know, I, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be that person. So it's been it's been tough. So I mean, with sponsors, that that's been tough. A lot of a lot of the companies are coming back saying, hey, we're we're shutting our doors. You know, like BlackRock Gear, for example. Sad. They're an awesome company. They were a big sponsor of Highline, and they're they're gone. I so didn't know, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, really? sorry to break sorry to break the news. Yeah, wow. Black Rocket, amazing company, good people. Yeah, and make great hats. They're, great they're down hat, hats. great down hats. Yeah. yeah, now they're they're gone. The way they do it. Wow. Oh, well, boys, I'm gonna lighten the mood a little bit. Cool. 
the one of the one of my favorite things about the live streams is people get to ask these questions. Awesome. And so I looked a little bit while we were talking, and um, there's always poop talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to see those. Yeah, I, I was wondering. I saw and I saw Miyagi talking about me stealing his toilet paper, and that's true. I did take his toilet paper, <laughs> but the, <laughs> what? I won't go deep into this. But we took this trip, and we got a buddy named Miyagi, and um, he likes playing practical jokes. Like I remember, we were going to get up, and it was the last day, and we had to get up early enough. And there it is. Yeah, see, Midwest Backpacker. He was on this trip. We were in the Smokies, and the last day we had to get up early enough because it was all uphill for nine miles to the highest point on the AT, Klingman's Dome. And we were coming from, like, the lowest point you can go in the Smokies, down around the creeks and rivers and bends. And I was like, I'll get up, man. I'm infamous for sleeping in, okay? So whenever I was uh, in my trail family on the long trail, we were called the Brunch Club. Cause that's like when we would get out of bed and I remember it was like five 15. I had an alarm set for five 30 AM and he had his phone and he had brought like a speaker or a call or something. And it was, he was making like dying rabbit sounds and wolf sounds <laughs> right next to me. He crawled under my tarp and put it next to my ear in my hammock. And it was just yelling into my ear. And I was like, bro, can I not sleep this last 15 minutes? So yes, Miyagi, I took your toilet paper. But he also put like three or four rocks into my pack, and I found them multiple <laughs> days later. So you're oh, sick human days. Oh, <laughs> yes, no. I carried them all the way to the top. One of them I didn't find until I got home. The highest point so, on the AT, actually, isn't it? Was that where you carried yeah. him to the highest oh, point man. on the AT? Yeah. So he said that, I think he said in the comments, I was just like scanning them, you know, but he was talking about having to use a bidet. So I want to hear, it could be yours or it can be um, while you're on um, the High Sierras or the Uintas. What was the craziest poop story, whether it's oh, yours man. or somebody else's? I've got one. Oh, man, I hope he's not watching right now. It's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. I need first and last name. <laughs> so in the High Sierra Trail, John, sorry if you're watching this, man. Um, so John from the High Sierra Trail, on the last day, you know, we did Whitney. And we're coming down, and anybody who's done Whitney knows that when you're heading out to Whitney Portal, there's 99 switchbacks, right? So pretty long way down, and they're very exposed. Not talking height exposed. I'm talking like you can't hide anywhere. Okay. And and we're going down this thing, and I think on switchback two or three, dude, he's going to kill me. (laughs) On switchback two or three, um, he had an attack. Oh, and no. he, he had to use the in in that area, you're supposed to use wag bags. And, you know, we did that. And he uh, he had to pull out the wag bag and there's nowhere to hide. So just right in the middle of the trail, he sets up this this wag bag and there's like, you know, cliff to his left. And then there's like a cliff wall to his right. So just not much right there. Puts down the, the wag bag. I keep going. I'm like, dude, I'm like laughing. So I keep going. And sure enough, like the next switchback, just right below, there was like 20 people coming up. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I go, I go all the way to the bottom. Finally, like 45 minutes, he comes down. I'm waiting in there forever. You know, like 45 minutes later, he comes down. (laughs) I'm like, dude, how'd it go, man? Like what happened? He's like, I don't want to talk about it. And then I didn't even know the details until like, Maybe uh, maybe a month or two, a uh, couple of months after we finished the film, we were doing a screening in, in California. And somebody, you know, asked the question, like, you know, did you have any stories like that? And he actually told the story, so I was kind of surprised. But, uh, yeah, he <laughs> – it was like 40 or 50 people passed him on the trail and didn't just pass him while he was pooping. Had to step over the top of him. They had to, like, step around him because, you know, they don't want to fall off the cliff. So, and he had – and he was trying to to save, to save his, you know, to try to hide himself from the embarrassment. He, he had this big hat, and he tried to use that to cover his head so nobody could see him. But, of course, on the trail, whenever he got to see him, that, that, that was his recognizable feature was this big hat. So they all knew exactly who who it was poor john man that was that was one of the funniest moments uh, i've had on the trail actually oh for me it was funny for God. me it wasn't funny for him but it was funny for me <laughs> that is fantastic yeah that's john. embarrassing 
Yeah. That is fantastic. It's a shame that wasn't on the video. Um, it almost made no. it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't film it, though. I didn't want to well, get yeah. too fast. Yeah. Oh, man. That is great. Look at well, that. Well, we got, we're, we're about five minutes from an hour right now already, if you can believe it. Wow. Um, cool. But I would love, so here we go, mic drop, Chris wins. Um, <laughs> um uh, so here's a question for you. How can people find you? How can they find you on, as far as Outmersive Films? How can we find updates on the Iceland Project as they come? Uh, can we find you on Instagram? Why don't you share some of the information with everybody so they can figure out where they can find you online? Sure, yeah. So Outmersive is you know our company name. Um, more of a collective, really. But yeah, so OutmersiveFilms.com. OutmersiveFilms.com. Yay. Um, that's our website, and there you can see you know our previous. There's links to our previous films. There's links to. There's some information about the Iceland project. If you want to be really nice, you can make a donation there towards the project. But I don't, I don't want to you know pry there. Um, make donations, and, people. We'll tell you to. Yes, he doesn't want yeah, please, to. But we'll tell you to make a donation. We're desperate. We've got travel bills to cover, and this is going to be an expensive one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so outmersofilms.com for that. We're also on uh, you know Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. Technically, yeah, I think we have Twitter. <laughs> Emma's watching. Emma does her social media stuff. She's probably watching this. Like, what the heck, man? Um, but yeah, cringing. we're on uh, yeah Instagram. Just look for outmersive. Uh, Twitter, I think outmersive, and then Facebook outmersive. Just. Look for Outmersive. We're the only Outmersive out there. Nobody else would come up with a weird name like that. Well, I question, was clever, though. I actually, where did the name, what made you come up with the name? Dude, we went through so many name iterations. And but when it started, it was just me and I used to call Chris's Awesome Productions. I, that's how serious <laughs> I was taking it. And then as other people came into it, they're like, we should probably change it to a different name. So we went through all these different name ideas. And, you know, the idea of like, it's immersion into the outdoors through film. So immerse, you know, we want to immerse people into this experience, like immerse, but outside, outmerse, outmersive. Whoa. And that's how it came about. So we just kind of made up and nobody had ever made up that word before. So we're kind of cool like that. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are the cool kids. We are. (laughs) We try. (laughs) We're not. We're actually really geeky people, but we fake it. Well, you do great work, man. Thank you. Yeah, I had to, I had a pleasure talking to you tonight and watching your films. I'll have to um, go back and watch your original film. I haven't seen it yet, and hopefully, if if people can't donate, whenever the film comes out, they can rent it or buy it to help support. Yep, yep. It'll be on all the major streaming platforms, Amazon, all that stuff. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, uh, if you want to see the High Sierra Trail, you can go over to uh, Amazon. It's on Amazon right now. Amazon Prime. I, I rented it last night and watched it. I've uh, been looking for it for a while and finally found it over there on Amazon Prime. So check that out. Uh, Highline's on everything. I think I actually bought that on Apple when I when I got that one. So uh, cool. great, great movies, man. We love the work you're doing. Keep it up. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. You definitely give us all stuff to aspire to go see. That that's the great part about it. You do these cool trails, and then we're all wanting yes. to go there because of, like like you said, I'd never heard of the Highline Trail until Redbeard started talking about going down there to film it, uh, several years ago now when uh, you guys actually filmed that, and uh, the videos, the the movie itself is amazing. Just the the video quality and everything about it was incredible. Thanks so much. Yeah, a lot went into it, so. That, that definitely is appreciated. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Hey, Jeremiah, you got cool. any more questions before? Uh... No, man. It's been a pleasure. Um, hopefully, we can have you back on whenever your new film comes out and we can talk about it. Yeah, anytime. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That'd be awesome. All right, man. We're going to throw you into the green room and uh, close things out here real quick. But thanks for being on. All righty. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Let's see you. Why is it that everybody who comes on here is just so awesome? Fun conversations, man. I'll tell you, man. It's been great. It's been great. And I am really looking forward to this new project, the Iceland Project. Yes, I really, after watching his films, embarrassed at my production quality. I got to up the game, which is good for my subscribers. That's true. That's true. And I, I, I'm just loving the storytelling. Uh, that was the thing that yes. I, that really attached me to the High Sierra Trail video, and then seeing all the different interwoven stories from Highline was unbelievable. It was just so well done. 
Yes, I highly suggest everybody going and checking out all of them. I can't, I can't wait to go watch his original. Absolutely. Well, just a real quick update for everybody. Don't forget that starting in June, we will not be having these on our personal YouTube channels anymore. These are moving to the Backpacking Podcast YouTube channel. So if you aren't subscribed yet, go ahead and get subscribed or your Monday nights are going to be very lonely. And we don't <laughs> want that for you. So. Yeah, and uh, Wednesday... So this was not live streamed. This was a uh, a recorded episode privately. We had Heather Anish Anderson who set the fastest known time, not just female, of of all people on the PCT, and uh, we had a great conversation with her. Talked to her for an hour. Um, she wrote a book about it. She's got a new book coming out. So definitely check that out. That's Wednesday the 24th, February 24th. If you're watching right now and if you're listening later, then uh, hopefully you've already listened to it. Or if you haven't, go back and check it out. Yeah, it's fantastic. She was so interesting to talk to. Also, the next couple of weeks, we got some great guests coming on. Next week, we got Justin Hick from Justin Outdoors. This is our first Canadian guest. So kind of stoked about that and, and chatting with Justin a little bit about everything he's doing. He's, he's kind of, I, I always joke that he's kind of the Canadian Dan Becker. So uh, it, it'll yeah. be good to have him on here next week. Uh, and then the week after that, we've got Frozen from Outdoor Adventures who's going to be yeah. on. Yeah, he threw hockey uh, AT recently. Yeah. So he's got a great YouTube channel. Go check it out, and uh, I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah, he's going to be fantastic. So I guess, Jeremiah, it's time for us to sign off for the night. So as always, it's good hanging out with you, buddy. Yes, you too. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure. Yep, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Adios.